Hey listeners, I'm Eric Taylor, and this is The Hair Game. New Salonary Public Openings in Southern California, Torrance in August. Escondido, Valencia, Burbank, and Thousand Oaks opening in September and October. Go to salonrepublic.com for more information or just hit the link in my Instagram bio. Craft Lookbook is happening in Hollywood July 13th and 14th. Don't forget to check it out. Hit the link in my bio for info and tickets. The list of hair celebrities who will be there is really impressive. I look forward to seeing you there as well. And now, the weekly pod loot giveaway. This week, I'm giving away a pair of Apple AirPods. Everybody knows them, everybody loves them. If you don't have them, hopefully you win this. Okay, my hand is in the bag. Pulling out a name. The winner is Hair by Suzio. Hair by Suzio, you are the winner of the Apple AirPods. DM me at Taylor and send me your mailing address. I'll tell you what we're going to be giving away next week for the pod loop at the end of this episode. Now to Adam Chacha. All right. Adam Chacha, how you doing, man? Good. Thank you, Eric. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for being here. I'm going to try really hard not to whip out my Australian accent. <laughs> it's horrible. It's, um, it's incredible. Um, I forget that I'm speaking Australian at times, and I often get blank stares back, like when I order my coffee in the morning or um, just like yesterday in my class, I was just talking, and you could just see that. They're looking at my mouth completely perplexed, like, what is this guy saying? That's really so I'm like, funny. Adam, English, leave the Australian at home. So. <laughs> That's really, really funny. You probably have like a slang dialect that you whip out with your buddies, right? Yeah, bloody oath, mate. Of course we do. <laughs> yeah, please, none of that here, <laughs> because I have no idea what you just said. Okay, uh, Adam, you're an Australian hairdresser. You're a Matrix artist. You're a YouTuber and content creator. You've got about 110,000 sub subscribers. Yep. In the business, you call them subs, right? That's right. Yep. On YouTube. Mm. So you've done really, really well at that. Why don't we start with uh, where in Australia you were born? Um, I was born in Canberra. So Canberra is the capital of Australia. It's, uh, I guess, the best way to describe Canberra. It's like Washington. So it's our place where our politicians convene. It's where our parliament sits. It's largely um, a government town. So public servants are working within directly the government or working for companies that liaise and work with the government. Um, so there's around about 500,000 people there with surrounding areas. So I've been there my whole life. I live briefly in other cities, but not enough to really say that I'd been elsewhere. Canberra is, is home. Cool. And you got a family in the whole nine yards there, huh? Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, mum and dad are there, my sister and uh, husband and my nephews, and of course my wife and my daughter. Wow. So yeah, Canberra's home. That's cool. Yeah. How'd you get in the hair? It's an interesting question. Um, so um, uh, being from uh, the, I'm a first generation Australian, so my father was a migrant from Italy. Um, always wanted to get a professional uh, degree and be academic, but he was forced, well, forced, but it was sort of natural for them to stay on the farm with the family because they were farmers. So he, he wanted me to have a, the best opportunity at life and obviously migrants like go and get an education, do that. So we did that. I finished college and I was uh, going to go and do a degree in macro microeconomics at university. Boring. Yeah, that's what I did. Well, at the time I thought it was smart. <laughs> Um, and it was like completely subconscious. I didn't choose it because I wanted to be an accountant or something. It was just like, that's what you did. You're Italian. You either you became a lawyer or an accountant, right? Yeah. Um, and then uh, I'd uh, left it too late. So I missed out on getting in that year and I needed a little bit of work. And my uncle actually owned a hair salon. 
um, which my sister was already working at. She was a coordinator there and she had been working there four years. Not a hairdresser, but just managing. Yeah, not a hairdresser. My sister was a hairdresser. No, very, very capable and slightly ruthless businesswoman in, <laughs> with, with love, but ruthless. She's very, very smart. Um, that's, that's sort of how I got into it. So I, um, hey, uncle, is there any part-time work there? So I worked as an assistant and um, my sister then moved to Sydney. Her husband was a professional basketballer, played 15 professional seasons, represented Australia. Um, I actually, at one point, he came to the NBA. Um, that was the year that they had the lockout. So he came over here and was oh. like, probably should go home because we don't know if we're going to play. Wow, what so, shitty luck. So she was like moving around. So I sort of stepped into that coordinator role because she was moving around with her husband. And um, yeah, at that time was unprecedented for us. We had like maybe out of 11 staff, nine were men. And it's just like, man, these guys are rock stars. Like just... They're, they're, they're all looking like they're having fun, you know, women coming in all the time, and it's like, I'm, I think I want to give this a crack. So it was sort of controversial. A lot of my friends became doctors and accountants and lawyers. They still giggle a little bit that I became a hairdresser, not because they think, oh, why did you be a hairdresser? It's just like, it wasn't, it was like so left field. No one would have ever picked it. Um, but at 21, it was laid on in life to be able to say, okay, well, I'm going to be a hairdresser, and I think that's why I've stuck at it, because a lot of people in Australia... Assume hairdressers are uh, dropped out of school. Um, they're not academically minded, so they choose that sort of trade path, hair, beauty. Um, but for me, it was a conscious decision. Um, so yeah, 21, I made the brave decision to do what we know in Australia as an apprenticeship. And 20 years later, here I am. And the apprenticeship in Australia is how long? Um, the government requires uh, students to attend uh, a registered training organisation. Um, for hair once a week for eight hours for two years and so at that time theoretically once you've satisfied the government's requirements legally um, if your skills are at a point where you can be signed off you can um, generally it takes three to four years there's been a big movement towards getting it done quicker uh, and then there's been a push back because we see that now the quality of tradespeople coming out of you know ready in the salon it's not quite there and that's not being disrespectful um, and they want to go back to say, slow down, they put the wages up, um, take the four years. And I think that's why Aussies are known for their high level of skill, because we essentially are doing a degree in hairdressing. It's four years like it would be at university. So um, you could do anywhere from two to four years. It just depends on what type of training you choose to do. Really yeah. interesting. Yeah, There's a lot of different options there for people. You're traveling all over the place right now uh, for Matrix and other things. Um, tell us about like where you're going. Um, so with regards to Matrix, um, that's all Australian. So the travel I do with uh, Matrix is just within Australia. I haven't done any global. Actually, I've done one global assisting job a few years ago in Rome, which was amazing. Um, so I'm hoping that some more opportunities come up there with Matrix. But the, my international travel is essentially um, independent. Um, that's all come from YouTube. So over a period of years, people asking, hey, if you ever come to America, I'd love you to cut my hair. Hey, if you ever come to Abu Dhabi, can you cut my hair? Greece, England, uh, Canada, I, I, like literally all over the world. Any English-speaking country, and even some non-English-speaking countries, like Germany, Italy, Russia is a big one. Um, I want you to cut my hair. That's so awesome because crazy. so many of the people that I interview, they're traveling all over the place because a big company is paying them to educate, right? On yep. stage here, on stage there. But you've actually developed an international clientele. Yeah, I That's have. That's so cool. And it's manifested all by itself. It was never something I set out to do. It's um, something that fascinates me actually because 
around about, I think it was about 2011 I started my YouTube channel, which where I was from in Australia was a bit controversial. People were saying, why are you giving your skills away for free? You should be charging for it. And um, it all came about because I was actually here in LA at Sassoon. I was doing my master's with Mark Hayes. And I was sitting in the lobby of the Viceroy Hotel and um, I can't remember the lady's name, but she'd moved here from New York after the GFC, looking for new work. I think she was in real estate here. And she said, um, I've given that up because now I'm a YouTuber. I'm like, you're a what? I said, I understand what YouTube is, but what's a YouTuber? She goes, well, I started doing style videos on YouTube and then Madonna's agent contacted me and asked if I would like to meet Madonna because she liked my stuff. And then I ended up doing a European tour and it just blew up. Wow. So she was full-time doing YouTube and then working for, like as a now stylist. I was like, hmm, that's interesting. And I thought to myself, I wonder if I can do that with haircuts. And it was just a thought. So I finished up working at Sassoon, went back home to Australia, and there was a couple of staff that wanted to see what I'd done and learn at Sassoon. At that point, it was Gaga dolls, or Dada dolls. I don't know if you remember that collection Sassoon did. It was beautiful. So there was a couple of girls that couldn't make the session. So I said to my assistant, could you grab my phone, which is the the iPhone 3 that couldn't send a picture message, but we all still bought it. Right. And at that point, before Google and YouTube had aligned, I don't know if you remember, but the YouTube app was actually an option. When you pressed the, the box with the arrow as an option, it was actually one of the options that would come up. So I was recording what I was doing so I could replay it to the staff, and my assistant said, Adam, your phone's out of memory. I'm like, oh, great. It's like, what am I going to do now? I'm only halfway through. So I got my phone. I'm like, well, I can't email it. The file's too big. And it said, send to YouTube. I thought, oh, that's brilliant. I'll just send it to YouTube and I'll delete it off my phone. We'll keep going. It literally took two minutes to set up an account. It was so easy. So that was it. Kept recording. Great session. Went home to bed. That was a sad day after work. I woke up Sunday morning. Hold on. Pause. So you uploaded to YouTube almost just as storage to clean Correct. out your phone. Correct. Did you title the video? Nope. Did did you put a caption? Nothing. Okay. Nothing. Not that I recall. And um so you I think I think the next day I did because I actually as I was saying all these notifications came up but the app was very primitive back then. There wasn't a lot of functionality on it so I had to go to my computer and I was I was astonished. The video had like 4000 views overnight. <laughs> and I was like what is, what is going on? And I'm you know people are reading the I'm reading the comments like Thanks so much. I'm gonna thanks so much for sharing. I'm gonna try this on my client tomorrow. That's amazing. I've never seen anyone do that before. You know, you're an idiot. Like, <laughs> you know, you don't know. You know, you, you got to get that. Like, <laughs> you got to take the good of the bad, right? <laughs> of course. But I, I sat back and I thought, hang on a minute. What does this mean? And I'm a very analytical guy. I try and look beyond face value, and I realised that there was a huge desire for education from people who lived in parts of the world that couldn't access it or didn't have the financial means to access it. And then from that point, I'm like, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. This will be what I do for my soul because you can't always do things in life for the money. You have to do them for the soul. And I've never actually felt comfortable taking money off hairdressers. It's always been, I've always felt a little bit awkward with it. I'm like, that's my thing. So that's just how it started. So I just started with, like I said, I continued with my iPhone. We then to, you know, developed equipment and obviously it's... um exploded since then um the early times you've been doing it now for eight years yep. or so the early times you were just using your cell phone yep um lighting did you put any effort into any of the production quality None. did you think through like what what you're going to film or was it 
none. It was, um, I didn't know what I was doing. Let's yeah. just be honest. Like, I, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And at that time, I was doing like, you know, part one, part two, part three, part, like one haircut had seven videos. I, I actually was completely unorthodox. Um, but it started to work. And I don't know, maybe that's the appeal. Maybe the appeal is that I am a little bit goofy and, and it sort of is authentic and I don't try and be fancy and I'm just doing what I do and I'm, I'm not, not trying to tell people that they don't know what they're doing. I'm just sharing what I do. But obviously, eight years on, the equipment, the technology's changed a lot. And yes, now we use lighting. And, you know, I've done two documentaries, um, one here in Los Angeles, one in Australia. They're available. Watch one was called The LA Project, where I brought a crew over here and we did an editorial shoot to market our business. So I've done some cool things since then. Documentaries for what? Um, so documentary, one was uh, to market our salon. So we built a new salon. We wanted to document um the actual construction of it so from the day we signed the lease on a bare concrete shell to the day we opened the doors so then we came over here to la and i brought my whole youtube crew and my videographer and my um photographer we did an editorial shoot on the street in santa monica and um that was really great so yeah the, i mean the content that i do now has obviously evolved um but i think uh, it's still coming from the same place it's from an authentic place that hey if you want to watch it and y it brings value and it helps you um, get a great outcome for your client, great. If not, you can call me an idiot and you know, unsubscribe, whatever. So I, I would never try and um, say that I know more than someone else. That's just what Adam does. And um, yeah, so then the clientele started to develop in probably 2015, 2014. We'd get emails all the time. Michelle would say, my wife Michelle would say, hey, um, you're getting all these emails from overseas. People want to cut your hair. I'm like, oh, that's great. Like, it's really nice compliment, but you know, it's probably unrealistic. Then late 2016, um, things got a little bit tough. Um, personally, and I needed to disconnect. My wife was diagnosed with cancer. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, she's on the men now. Um, and I needed to disconnect because p she was having time off to recover and people were coming in the salon every day. How's Michelle? How's Michelle? How's Michelle? And I don't want to have that conversation to 15 people every day, five days a week. So I was just like, you know what? I may need to step back from the salon and diversify and earn money elsewhere for a short period of time. So I said to her one night, I go, how many emails you got in that email box? Because she's very smart. She reckons that she's like practical, but she's actually smart. I think logical, practical people are the most intelligent. She'd already taken the initiative to set up boxes in the inbox. So I had USA, Europe, Asia, um, you know, North America. She had all the, and said, how many uh, emails do you have in the USA one? She said, I'll check. It was about 500. Wow. 500. From and all over the country. From all over USA. Okay, and, and did, had anyone responded to these emails? We just replied and said, um, we are, we, there's no plans on me to come to the US at the moment, but we're gonna keep your email, and if anything comes up, we'll let you know. So then we thought, we'll just try US first. So she sent an email out to everyone. You'd previously inquired about Adam cutting your hair. I know it was some time ago. If you would like to remain on his list and receive some information on an up and coming tour, please reply yes, and we'll send you some info. Probably half of them said yes. Wow. I wouldn't know the exact numbers, I have to check with sure, but it was a lot. Then I was like, 250 people want the haircut? Like, how am I gonna do this? Like, it's just not possible. Yeah. Like, I don't have the resources. So I said, okay, well, we need to do some math. Like, how much is it gonna cost me? And airfare from Australia is very expensive. So my flight here, and I'm not flying first class or business class, yeah. I'm just going premium coach. Right. It's $6,000, it's a lot. And accommodation's expensive, so. 
Hold we on. Worked, the, the flight, uh, everything is 6,000, not just the flight. Just the flight. Just the flight, six just grand? Just the flight, he was uh, 5,400 plus tax. Oh, shit. I didn't realize yeah. it was that expensive. So this flight was like uh, Canberra, Brisbane, Brisbane, LAX, New York, back to LAX home. So it was Okay, so you're one. jumping around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. It was a little bit That's extended. That's expensive, though. It is expensive because, yeah, it's just, I think, being down under, you're a long way from everything and yeah. it's so far away, it's distance. So we worked out it was going to have to be somewhere around about 400 US a haircut. And I'm like, she's like, no one's paying you $400 to cut their hair. I said, well, look, that's what it's going to be because half of it essentially is going in my travel and accommodation. Um, so I said, just try. Well, weren't we wrong? <laughs> weren't we wrong? So we, we probably got somewhere between 60 and 70 people like, I'm in. Where is it going to be? Unbelievable. Um, so fast forward now, um, I worked in New York. I had people fly from Toronto, from Houston, from Wisconsin, from Connecticut. Um, it was only two New Yorkers. The rest were all flying in. So I did about 15 people there. Here was the same. I had three people from Here Sacramento. Here being LA. LA, yeah. Here yeah. in LA was the same. I had people fly from Sacramento. Um, another one from Wisconsin. Um, people drove up from Vegas. Um, yeah, just an incredible people. So I didn't think it would be possible, but it, but it has. And now, as I said to you, off air, like, you know, now we're talking about the United Arab Emirates. Um, we're talking about Asia, China, especially um, Singapore. Um, and now I'm looking at going elsewhere in the US, like, you know, um, Dallas, um, being asked to go to um, Chicago. Wow. So I, I don't know what's going to happen, Eric, but um, it's I'm just going to roll with it. Just run with it. It's spectacular. Yeah, I it's love it. It's pretty cool. It's nothing that, that, that I had ever talked to anybody about, you know, building an inter international clientele like this versus educating. So I think this is utterly fascinating. Let's talk about it. all came from YouTube, right? It did, yeah. So these are, these are not hairdressers, but they're watching your hair education YouTube videos. Uh, explain that to me. Yeah, it's, um, again, it's very fascinating. And, and the, the penny dropped when I had someone come into the salon in Canberra and she was probably around 24, 25. And she's looking at me quite awkwardly. And I'm like, is everything okay? She goes, yeah, everything's great. I'm like, you, you good? We're good? She's like, yeah, it's good. I said, okay, I was cutting her hair. And I'm like, are you sure you're okay? Because she was like a little bit fidgety. She goes, I just feel like I know you already. I'm like, I'm glad you like that my personality's come across, but you know, in reality, we've known each other 15 minutes. She goes, oh, but I've watched all your videos on YouTube. And I'm like, what? And that was probably early, mid 2013. I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, yeah, I, I, I Googled hairdresser Canberra. And because that had been the time when Google purchased YouTube and they were indexing videos in search results. So if you're searching for hairdresser and then your state, a video would come up in the search result and you click on it. And that was when I was like, the consumer is watching my videos. That's not why I started it. I started it to share with hairdressers. And I thought, wow, I'm a marketing genius, <laughs> which is actually not the case. So yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm still fascinated that the consumers are watching. Eric, they're watching hour-long videos wow they go they go for an hour and my average view time is 12 minutes google say the average is three minutes on youtube Mine and you're 12. getting four times that yeah it's so why why would a consumer non-hairdresser watch an hour-long video on hairdressing well i guess um i guess we'd have to ask them to get their perspective <laughs> but from what i've got from them it's you can't hide on a video they're going to get your personality. They're going to see your skills. They're going to see before and after. 
And if you allow yourself to be vulnerable and actually interact naturally with your client, they get a real authentic idea or real scope of what it's going to be like when they visit you and when they see you. And everyone I've done in the US has all said that you're exactly like you are on the videos like, because that's who I am. Wow. And I think that's the appealing thing that's that that authenticity comes through. And I think when Instagram is sadly being polluted with people who are fronting and pretending to be people they're not and, you know, selling fake tans and all this ridiculous stuff, I think it's sort of people are starting to become a little bit cynical about Instagram and I don't think you can easily get away with faking it on YouTube. Yeah, you could use CGI, yeah, you could like cut certain things out, but largely on a video format or content, content media, it's, um, they get a real good feeling for who you are. Very interesting. All right, so um, of your 110,000 subscribers, how many do you think are hairdressers? Probably most, right? You don't no. think so? Um, well, I'm sure on the back end of YouTube, you could probably pull that data out. But um, what I do know is out of every 10 inquiries I get, eight are people asking me to cut their hair, two are wanting to learn from me. Interesting. So if you use that, it's probably 80-20. So yeah. that's why I've rebranded the YouTube open source education for hairdressers or entertainment for the hair curious. Interesting. Yeah. So the audience is like 50% American, then it's UK, Australia. Um, but I think it's probably 80-20. Wow. It would be way more than 50-50. And maybe it's because hairdressers are like, well, I've seen what he does. And a small percentage would be like, well, I want to actually see him live. And the people I've done in, um, in SoCal yesterday in New York were absolutely like that. It's like, yeah, I've seen what you do, but I want to rack your brain and ask you questions and interact with you. But maybe that's why it's less appealing in terms of a tool to market for hairdressers for education and more appealing to people who want me to cut their hair. Right. I actually don't know. So. Right. Well, well here, here's a, a way for us to, to find <coughs> out. Here's, yeah. a, here's a challenge. Put it out there to your subs. You know, are you a hairdresser or are you just a consumer who's interested? That's the next you know, video and, I do. and we'll see what kind of comments you get. Yeah. Um, all right. So now let's talk about YouTube. Your videos are obviously entertaining if, if non-hairdressers are watching them. So let's, let's talk about what you're doing now with your videos. First of all, you put out, what, what did you say, 40, 40 per year, give or take? Um, yeah, well, it was a lot at first because they were quite clunky I just use my iPhone you'd set it up on a little tripod and you just go press record and bang you just start cutting whereas now actually um, you know people I was watching them and I don't like watching my videos I'm not true I've never ever watched one of my own videos from start to finish I don't I just don't like watching myself but people would comment I can't see well um, your arm was in the way so then I had to then be a little bit uh, more strategic about that so um, I've done 300 videos in eight years Okay. So um, I should really be doing one a fortnight minimum. Okay. So at least 25 a year. I would like to do more, but um, it's finding time, sure. balance with family, salon, traveling. Of course. All right. Tell us about the process. <coughs> do you have a crew? Do you do it yourself? A mixture of both, actually. Okay. So um, I have a, a guy who I'm actually indebted to for life. He's a good mate, Jimmy Logue. Shout out to Jimmy. Um, he... Uh, and I met while shooting a documentary. He was working for a company, now he's freelancing. So he actually sort of coached me in it's like, mate, I'm happy to do this for you and take your money, but because I, I won't let him do it for free, he wants to, but I won't let him. He said, but you could probably do it yourself now. If it's like a sort of authentic salon, like the environment we're in now, which I wanted to feel real, and I'll record that myself. But if we were to schedule five or six models and we want to shoot it in a day, I'd get him to come in. So that I'd 
I do like blocks of different styles of videos. So the ones I'm doing at the moment are like the must-haves of 2019. And they're like people who are in my salon having their hair done. And then we do blocks of like videos from either be Matrix or people like that. And that's when we want to have sort of different, more professional-looking content. Funnily enough, they're not the most popular ones. Interesting. Yeah. The ones that are heavily produced. Yep. They're not popular at all. Why? I don't know. I think it's um, it leaves out too much stuff that maybe people want to see. It's too, you know, a lot of people, even in California, said, man, you need to cut your videos and just, like, make them punchy 20, 25 minutes. And when I do that, they say, where's the rest? <laughs> you know, they're like, where's the rest of the video? It's, it's bizarre. So <laughs> I guess um, in, on, with any social media, you, you want to listen to the people who are supporting you and you want to try and deliver a variety of content. But ultimately, if they're not liking it, then you need to move. So, um, yeah. All right. So I'm going to run down a list of elements of YouTube video productions, okay? Because sure. there's so many different factors. There's so many things that go into it, right? So I, I guess I could boil it down to what is really important about a YouTube video. So let's start with your subject matter. Mm -hmm. So you think about it beforehand, sure. right? You think, okay, I'm going to do a bob, this kind of a bob. Mm -hmm. And you get a model or you just have a client coming in who you know is somewhat attractive? Um, mixture of both. It, it, it could look um, like they're all models because what I found is older women, my age, 40 plus, they don't want to be on camera and on the internet. They don't want to be. And the young girls actually email and say, can I be on your YouTube channel? So <laughs> it's like, yeah, sure you can. Um, so yeah, I think um, regardless of the age of the model, um, I try and do haircuts that I think can be worn on any woman of any age. Um, and then it needs to appeal to a hairdresser. Um, people often ask, what is it you think you specialize in? And I think I specialize in teaching people to do the haircuts their clients are going to ask for. I'm not trying to do avant-garde or be over-creative. It's like functional haircuts that people are asking for. So I think that's important. There's no point doing something that, you know, if I were to say do YouTube videos of me doing my collections for Australian hairdressers of the year. I don't know that that'd be that interesting because, you know, I'd be doing complex sort of weaves and using different materials and then that's not really functional. It's creative and artistic. There may be an audience for that, but my audience is actually looking for functional stuff. So it's important that, that, you, that I try and do a haircut that I think people might want to see if you're a hairdresser or a woman may want to have. All right, production value. How important is production value, especially related to the subject matter? Production value as in? As in the quality of the, you know, the crispness of the resolution mm. of the video, the, the quality of the audio as you're talking, um, you know, those elements, lighting. Um, if you control the environment, like we're in here, where, you know, we're in a closed room, I think the audio is pretty forgiving. If you want to do stuff in the salon, obviously lapel mics and isolating sounds very important. People can't hear what you're saying. It's not nice. And I often get complaints like audio is not that good. So I've actually upgraded all my equipment, audio equipment, very similar to what we're using right now. But I think iPhone 10's good. Um, one of the things I did, which um, Ricky was surprised, I have a dashboard mount that you use in your car that you mount your cell phone on. Um, I put that on the salon mirror and I use my um, iPhone 10, which can shoot in 4K. I don't even know if people are actually watching TV in 4K. I know you can watch it on computers in 4K. Um, and I just try and have a different angle. So I try to use two cameras, and then you can use a very simple program like iMovie, 
you can import both the footage and you can just choose which one you want to see at the time. So I can go from the front camera to the side camera, from the front camera to the side camera, and then I just move my, my model wherever she needs to be moved to so people can see. And um, you can edit it on the bus. You can edit it on the train. Um, iMovie is um, more than capable of doing that. Yes, I use uh, Adobe Premiere Suite. Um, when what, I, what is that one again? Adobe Premiere okay. Suite. But the, I just don't think you, the functions that are in there, people, you just don't think you need them. Yeah, it's going to make it fancy and have cool transitions. You can zoom in and, you know, you can like the camera will pan and all that stuff. Um, people just want to be able to see it clearly, hear you, and maybe hear what your client's saying as well. So production can be, I don't think you have to spend a lot of money on the production. And I think that, as I said earlier, that if it's too good, I don't know, people become cynical these days. So I like it to be a little bit raw. Like they'll hear me drop my comb. I drop my comb. It's okay. Like people do that. If it's not too good, it seems commercial. Yeah, right? it does. I'm not going to edit that out. I'm not yeah. going to edit it out when I'm. Yeah, it's just, it's just roll. Right. Obviously, I don't want to string it right. out if I'm rambling on and people say, "Adam, you talk too much." <laughs> I'm guilty of that. But if um if that needs to be, if it can be condensed, but I'm not going to condense it to try and make me look better than what I am or portray me in a way that's not real. I am who I am, and I'm just going to do it as I do it. So it sounds like authenticity, authenticity is one of the most important parts. I think so. It's the most important. So you're using two camera angles. Ever use more than that? Yeah, I have before. Um, but, but then is, it's not worth it? Well, it makes the editing very complicated. And unless you're going to pay someone to do that, you're actually better to have a still camera and just move the subject. So you could have the, like I do, the iPhone mounted on the mirror um, and then you can maybe have another device if you want to stream live, which I do that sometimes. I record and stream live at the same time. Um, and then just move um, your subject around so that people are getting good vantage. Make sure the camera's not too far away. But um, just on iMovie, for example, if you're using an iPhone X or iPhone X, um, you actually, when, because the resolution's so great, post-production you can zoom in and not compromise the resolution. So um, I just think you need to make sure that you set it up so people can see. Very interesting. iMovie is that powerful? iMovie is amazing. And it's actually, um, my daughter's nine. She uses iMovie. Okay, so yeah. you and I kind of started talking about slime, right? <laughs> because yeah. you, you know that I'm going to ask you the question, how do you get so many subscribers, right? And, yep. and, and I'm going to go ahead and answer. The answer, your answer cannot be make slime on YouTube. <laughs> well... You certainly, if you're making slime on YouTube or have been 12 months ago, you are doing very, very well. Um, I think uh, it's hard with hair because it's, it's a very small genre. I mean, how many people are going to go on YouTube and search hair? The majority of users are 18 to 24, and I think then there's obviously under 18, and they're searching for things related to them. So I think if you're doing um, makeup, beauty tips, um, female, young girl styling, um, if you're doing... Toy reviews, making slime, um, or you're James Corden, you're killing it on YouTube. If you're doing hair, it's tough. Um, it just is tough. And I think um, my channel is just inside the top 50 in the world for hair. It's the largest in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, and I think the top subscriber is, is Guy Tang. I think, yeah, I think sure. when I last checked, his channel was still the largest. Um, but again, color is a much wider search for things. Sure. I'm just cutting hair, so it's very small. I know um, Sam Via um, has quite a large channel. He's, he does a lot of like professional videos, um, and he's been doing a lot long, longer than me. And the other thing that I've worked out is 
when I release content in the Southern Hemisphere, it's very, very hard for it to get traction because the way algorithms work is they drop it in your geocode and then it starts to go out. So I learned that a lot by um, traveling and saving videos. So I'm like, I'm not making this up. This is a real thing. And I said to Michelle, I'm going to prove it to you. So I did a video in New York. It was a great pixie haircut. Amanda's beautiful. No disrespect to her. She's no more beautiful than the other girls I've done. They're all beautiful in their own way. I did it in New York just on my iPhone. I had a Mevo Pro. Um, if you guys aren't familiar with that, it's like very similar to a GoPro but much more advanced. You can actually plug in audio equipment like we're using at the moment so you can isolate audio. It's, it's really, really cool. I had that and iPhone 10. I edited it at the airport lounge while I was on the way here because I had time and I dropped it at 2 o'clock LA time. It's had 30,000 views in two days. Wow, it's which is a lot more than oh, it's, it's huge. you it's would huge. get in Australia. Yeah, it's usually, I would, I would get about fifty to 60,000 in a month. So I tried it with Instagram. Did a great great picture, dropped it in um, Australia. Like, sorry, no, it was a video. I did a video on Instagram, the exact same video. Four weeks ago, I did it in Australia. At the same time, it was in, in LA, 2 o'clock. Then I dropped the same video here in LA when it was 2 o'clock. Yeah, it's had uh, almost 40 times the reach. Oh, so I ask people who are experts or know a lot about social media and they tell me that where you're dropping the content is where it gets exposed. There's 25 million people in Australia. There's 360-odd million yeah. here in the US. I think there's 25 million people in greater LA. There you go. So um, for me to expose my channel, I got a bit off track there, but to expose my channel and get better reach, it's been very hard from the Southern Hemisphere. Oh, I've tried everything. Using VPNs to trick where I am, it, it doesn't work. Okay. So um, I think uh, if you're in North America, I think you have a little bit of an advantage. But I think people will ultimately still find your content if it's good. Um, and I just plugged away. And as I said at the beginning of this podcast, I never, I never started the channel for subs. I never started it for um, being able to create a clientele. And I think with all social media, if you start with the right intention, and for me, you must always give without expectation. Absolutely. If you're like, I'm going to do an Instagram and I'm going to become an influencer and I'm going to get people endorsing me and throwing money at me, I think ultimately you probably fail because you started it for the wrong reasons. So people can tell, right? I think they can. I just you know drop content as often as I can and and just let it build organically. And I've never, I don't, I don't even pay to to sponsor the videos. I don't promote them or mainly because I don't have budget for that. But yeah. it just you know some do really well, some don't do so well. And right. you know, I've had some videos that have had three, four million views. Then some money have five thousand. Why that is, I don't know. Okay, so let's get back to that question about what is important about a video. Because I'm sure you're analytical to some degree. The videos that shit the bed, so to speak, yep. you know, versus the ones that, that take off, right? Yep. Um, length. Length of video. What have you found has worked for you? Um, well, the one that I did in New York, I actually edited it quite hard. So I was condensed to like 27 minutes. But it actually wasn't a very long haircut. Um, that's done really well. Then my most viewed video is an hour and 21 minutes. It's got 3.4 million views. Wow. And so it actually goes against the norm. And as I said earlier, like everyone's like, you need to condense that. So no, it doesn't need to be condensed because what I realized is hairdressers will actually watch it. They'll watch me do the haircut and I'll press pause and I'll have a mannequin and I'll start mm -hmm. the haircut and then I press play again. So actually doing the haircut like step by step almost. So I don't think there's a, I think you just have to, whatever it is you're doing, regardless of length, you have to make sure that if you're going to do it, and I'm not, not pumping myself up here in any way, <laughs> but I think um, part of the appeal is I am what they would say a little bit ocker. I'm probably a bit awkward looking. My mother's Australian, my father's Italian. You're not Italian. awkward looking. 
<laughs> that's really funny. <laughs> so I think like there's a, there's a little bit of appeal there. So I'm, if you're going to do a long video, you're going to have to keep people engaged. You can't have long periods of silence. So you can't be just like doing a haircut really slow and not saying anything. And I think the reason why people like watching the videos, is a lot of people, it's like, imagine if I was cutting your hair and we were talking about our children, we were talking about our wives and the holiday we went on. There's probably some people who are interested to hear that, not because of who we are, but because, man, that's like standing in a hair salon and listening to people's conversations. So I think that there's a, a, a that's like part of the appeal. So I think people who are looking for content, they want short, sharp, give me info. And then there are people who put YouTube on their smart TVs and sit back and watch it like it's a episode of Suits or something. I mean, I don't know. Right. So I don't know what the right length of video is. I don't have the answers for that because... Like I said, the one that's been the most successful was an hour and 20 minutes. People are like, you're crazy. No one's going to watch that. And then the ones that I try and make punchy, they're not that appealing. So I haven't worked that out. I'll get back to oh you on that Oh my gosh, area. that's so funny. Okay. Um, how much effort do you put in like the title and the caption and stuff? I never used to put a lot. Um, and now I put a lot more and I think that's probably um, helped grow the channel exponentially. So... It sort of started to creep towards 25,000. I was like, man, 25,000 subs, that's pretty cool. Like, there's 25,000 people out there that are bored and want to watch me. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I started to um, just watch other YouTubers and how they would... I think it just needs to be clean. I think um, a thumbnail is really important. Um, people want to scroll through the video and they'll see something. You know, it's, it's about getting attention. We're trading in attention. Um, you want to get people's attention. So thumbnails are very important, which I never used to do. Now I do them. Um, and titles. Um, so like I said earlier, I'm doing the must-have haircuts of 2019. So it's always... So I'm going to do 12 episodes of that. I've just done episode seven. So my subs will go back and they'll go to my playlist and they'll go, oh, you know, and they'll look, this haircut in there. So I think like any social media, it needs to be clean and concise. Um, should you have like... A, what are they... Like... Um, clickbait or stuff like that yeah. like i'm not into that yeah yeah um but i think that in that first um 30 or 40 characters they can see i think you, you know you probably should put what what you're doing on the video and yeah. and a good thumbnail i think that's all all that's required and i think that's why i had now recently got my my first play button from youtube which is awesome uh, my account's been verified which is amazing and um uh, well, and describe what a play button is so a play button is um it's, it's uh, YouTube rewarding you for your subscriber base. So you get your first one at 100,000. And then I believe it's um, 250, you get a bronze one. 500,000, you get a gold one. And then a million, you get a platinum one or something. No, yeah, yeah it goes yeah, like yeah. that. Um, and then once you get 100,000, it's like on Instagram when you get a verified account. I have a verified YouTube account. Yeah. Then your content gets indexed as a priority like it does on Instagram. And um, I think I've grown 10,000 in like two months. Wow. So that 10,000 would have taken me probably a year before. Right. So it's already right. started to grow exponentially. So that was obviously all because of presentation. So the question you asked is very valid, but I'm not going to lie and say, oh, yeah, but, you know, I strategically do it because I never did. Yeah. But I realized that it's not just about getting an advantage. It's like making your site wherever it is easy to navigate sure. and clean. So Of course. It's part of the yeah. value that you're bringing, right? Correct. What about comments? Do you, do you get into the comments? Do you, can you respond on comments on YouTube? It depends. Because, and I don't even know what it would be like for a young girl who's doing a makeup tutorial or beauty or someone who's maybe, um, uh, maybe more um, vulnerable in terms of what they're doing on YouTube, but some of the comments are bad. Like, they're horrible. 
I, um, I heard it's it's a gnarly uh, uh, arena yeah, out there. Yeah, and YouTube I, comments. And I I respond to every single comment I get except the negative ones. Um, and I personally respond to them. It is a full time job. So wow. last night before bed, it was ninety seven comments I replied to. Wow. It might just be a thumbs up and a love, or it might be thank you so much for. If it's a long comment, yeah. I'll actually write something back because someone's taken the time to right. to give you feedback, but. It, do, it does get a little bit disturbing. I had, I had, um, I did a live video before I came here, and there was a couple of trolls that were on the live video. There's around about 800 people that were watching it live, and they were making references now, about harming. I'm, I'm sorry, this is live on YouTube. Yeah. Okay. Streaming live to YouTube, and they were making references about harming my daughter and my wife, and and I think that you could very easily like, and these people don't know who I am. They're just trolls. They're just trying to get under my skin. And if you respond, they got you. Right. They've got you, and you just. You just don't respond. And I learned that very, very early on. Respond to the positive ones, ignore the negative ones. But also, if they're negative, like, I don't like your haircut, this is the reasons why I would have done it like that. I read them because I don't think that I know everything. And if there's someone who's a hairdresser that has written a comment and taken the time to comment and that, and their, and their, their comment is constructive criticism based on their opinion, I absolutely read it and take that on board. But if it's someone who's just wanting to be nasty, I just have empathy for them and think man you must be in a dark place so um i think i think you should take the time to respond to positive comments because people are taking the time to write them right yeah um can you tag <coughs> on youtube is that an yeah you can okay um you when you upload the video there's um there's a whole box at the bottom that you can um you basically add your, your like what would be a hashtag on instagram okay um so i do do that um and they're set ones that when i upload the video they're there all the time so there are a lot of um um there are a lot of advanced elements to YouTube that I haven't even started using yet. Like the, the function, like even just the database and the analytics it, split, it spits out is, it's phenomenal. Like it tells you, you know, ages, demographic, gender, location, you know, even by postcode where these people are. If they're sharing their location services, it tells you where they're from. Um, and you haven't even gotten into that? No. <coughs> um, I'm hopefully going to attend the... Um, YouTube summit in Australia in November. They invited me last year and I wasn't able to attend because I was away with Matrix, but I'm going to attend this year and it's like a YouTuber summit. All YouTubers come together and that's where they show us how to do that because um, I think now that the, and you mentioned it before, adding value or bringing value to people, I think it, the, it's the right thing to do for me to better educate myself about how to do my YouTube better so that people are watching it. It's, it's, it's more, it's not professional. Professional is not the right word. It's just it's a more seamless experience. It almost makes it like it's a TV channel. So that's your channel. People go there. I've started doing merchandise now. I didn't know you could do that. So I've got e-commerce connected to that. So people buy my T-shirts, which is really cool. Nice. You have T-shirts. Yeah, yeah. What I do just, they say? Um, they just have um, some of the things that I say on my YouTube channel. Okay. Like, for me, um, <laughs> like these things that people like, you say I'm um, a lot. You say for me a lot. Um, people just ask like, you know, can I have that leather band that's on your wrist? Um, so there's a, an e-commerce site connected to it called Teespring. So I've got hats and iPhone covers and all sorts of things. It doesn't Super sell a cool. lot, but um, it doesn't sell a lot because I'm, I'm not marketing it properly. Um, it was just something like, I'm going to activate that, do a few things and see how it goes. I maybe sold like, I don't know, in the last month, maybe 10, 20 things, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's it's fun cool because it drop ships. I don't even see it. They just click on it, buy it, receive it, and then they wear it and take photos of it. Send but it to me. It's pretty cool. I love it. All right, so what would you say to a hairdresser who is thinking about starting a YouTube channel now, hair-related? I wouldn't do it the way I did it. I don't, think, I don't think initially in the early years it was wise for me 
to fill my clients while I was in the salon. I don't think that's the right way to go about it. I don't think you will look unauthentic if you go into a controlled space and actually have someone come in and do a haircut that day. I think that you should create content and never ever compare yourself to someone else. I think as an artist, you should never compare yourself to anyone else. Don't try and emulate someone else. Doesn't mean you shouldn't be inspired by other people and, and, and learn from them, but just be yourself. Um, just create authentic content and don't be creating it because you, you want to, um, you know, you have, you're setting goals and there's nothing wrong with having social media goals. Say I want to build my Instagram, my YouTube, but just create content that's sharing your skills with people who may enjoy it, people who may want to watch um, whatever it is you do and make sure that you, you are giving without any expectation because I don't think, I think that's, that's a, the recipe for success and a lot of very successful um, influencers say that. One of the guys I watch a lot is Gary Vaynerchuk. He often says, I don't expect anything in return and I think that people will see that. Don't, don't pretend to be someone you're not, be genuine and just, just go for it. I mean, the, the benefits will come. Like I said earlier, I didn't plan to market my business that way. I didn't plan to build an international clientele that way. And I didn't pr- think that I was going to, uh, uh, how would you say, educate a new generation of hairdressers. It was just that from that one video I did, I was, I was motivated by those comments. I was like, man, this, people need this. I, I, there's people who can't afford to go to a cutting class. How do, they, how do they feed themselves? How are they earning money? So do it from a place of love and success is, is a given for me. Mm-hmm. Wise words. Tell us how YouTube pays content creators. There's a, there's a few ways. Um, and I'm very fortunate in that regard. I have um, um, some local businesses in Australia that have supported me. And um, these are non-hair related businesses. So I've been given cars. Um, you know, fifty thousand dollar cars. Like, drive this for twelve months. Tell us what you think, which is amazing. Like, really? Yep. It's and like, as long as you show the car on your video. Yeah, but it's not like I'm doing car videos. It's just right. like, you it's know, just through your channel. So there was a video I did um, on a mountain in Australia um, a few months ago, and my idea was to um, start the haircut when it's dark and let the sun rise behind us so that it would shine light on what I was doing, and then. The car was just in a car park down the bottom there. It wasn't like I strategically parked it. And they loved it. They thought that was amazing. So um, I've been very blessed like that. Um, so, so they gave you a car for a year? Yeah. Yeah, there's a company. There's How a do French, we do that, Donovan? <laughs> there's a French car maker called Renault. It's sure. um, very popular in Europe and Australia. They make amazing cars, yeah. beautiful French cars. Um, and the local dealer there saw that they could actually expose their product among my community, whether it be, so for them locally and Renault Australia nationally, and then Renault in a, internationally, internationally. And they saw there was value there in covering the cost of the lease on a car. So I don't know how the inner workings of that works for them. Um, but the dealer um, said, you know, we'd like to talk to you about doing this. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. So, so cool. There's obviously third party things there. Um, companies, hair related, obviously are always, I'm always being approached. Um, Matrix is um, the one that I'm aligned with now. I'm, very grateful to Matrix support they give me to the channel in Australia. And um, hopefully um, that will then open some international doors for me because I would like to do some work internationally for Matrix. So do they pay me directly for doing that? No, but they do offer funds to support um, my channel. They've also given me opportunities to uh, launch color lines for them. I launched So Color Cult from Australia for them. Um, my wife and I did a, um, a collection called Blushing Blondes, which launched globally, it was amazing. So there's revenue that comes 
indirectly from companies like that to help build content. In terms of direct revenue, you obviously get paid from YouTube. Um, that's easy. Anyone can see what you're earning. There's a site called Social Blade. You can go on there, punch in my YouTube channel. Oh, really? It'll show you what people on YouTube, they, based on the views and how much you get paid per click, there's an algorithm Social Blade used to estimate how much you would earn. You know, there's people earning like $10, $20 million a year. Um, so what, where does that start? <coughs> At the, I mean, if I went out and started my own Eric Taylor YouTube channel yep. and put up a video of me brushing my teeth, you know, I'm not going to get paid for it. Um, so it used to be from click number one, people would advertise on your, on your video and YouTube, obviously. So let me regress a little bit. So for me, there would be people advertising via YouTube AdWords or via uh, YouTube ads um, who would then be in the hairdressing or hair related. Um, so I've had to actually exclude anyone who's in competition with Matrix. So, mm. But there might be... Um, Anything hair-related or fashionable, they say, okay, this guy's um, demographic is 90% women and 10% men. So anything female-related may do well on the beginning of my video. So depending on how they advertise, either at the beginning of the video, it might be a pop-up, it might be however, there's different amounts of money you get paid for that. Now it's been changed that unless your, until your video gets 10,000 views, um, you don't start earning revenue anymore. So they've indexed it again. So it's dropped a little bit, but... Okay. You get paid from, from YouTube, or it's actually Google. Google um, pay for that. And it's, look, is it a lot? No. Does it pay the mortgage? Yes. Um, I don't have a big mortgage, but it pays the mortgage. Mm. Um, and it uh, allows me to reinvest that money back into YouTube to create more content, which is what I do with the overall majority of it. Mm-hmm. So um, wow. there's lots of ways you get paid. And, and I'm sure it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to only grow because... Um, YouTube is now embedded in most smart TVs. People are watching at home like Netflix. Right. YouTube have just launched YouTube Red, which is there, which I would love to get a YouTube Red show. And I actually did do a pitch to them. I still watch this space. You never never know. So if you're <laughs> listening to this, you can go and check out uh, In the Chair with Adam Chacha on my um, YouTube channel. Tell me what you think of that. Cool. Um, and um, so we just did a pilot for them. So they're looking at that now. But you, like any influencer, there's multiple ways you get paid. But directly through YouTube, that's how you get paid through ads. Tell us about how YouTube and Instagram videos are different. I use, like, my, my Instagram is really bad, like, let's <laughs> be honest. Like, it, <laughs> I think I've got, like, maybe 35,000 or something on there, which okay. for Australia is actually quite big. Yeah. Um, but I was told that at ISCC, by, uh, was it ICE in January when I came? That I was a micro-influencer in America, and so that's fine. <laughs> um, Somebody calls you a micro-influencer? Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I get t- I got, I've been stereotyped. <laughs> Um, what I try well, and do welcome is, to America. <laughs> what I try and do is, what I try and do is like just redirect traffic from each way. So I've started. Um, so I think YouTube videos are different because they're well. YouTube videos were different because you could host larger videos. Now with IGTV, and um, I don't know if you've been following me on on Instagram, but I actually um, in New York I was invited to Instagram. Can't say what I saw. I signed an NDA. I'm sorry I can't share that with you. Oh, um, you're just teasing us now. But um, let's just say that IGTV is now hosting larger videos. So um, they're sort of now, they've, they've made it easier for people to put longer format. But YouTube's 16 by 9, Instagram's 9 by 16. So you need to either shoot it in that or you need to actually 
uh, use something like Premiere Pro and actually then reformat your longer format videos or something shot 16 by 9 for IGTV. But Premiere Pro is a software program? Yeah, it's uh, in the Adobe suite. It's part of like Photoshop and Lightroom. So, and it's quite, it's not actually that easy to do. Everyone's like, just reformat your YouTube videos, put them on Instagram. It's like, do I have two years? Like, it takes a long time. That, that's what I say to Donovan. I'm always like, Donovan, just reformat it. Yeah, and hard. then I close my door to my office. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 I guess it's like the rendering process. Like, it takes a long time for that to happen. But I think YouTube is just a different format. I think people on Instagram want short, sharp information. And yeah, they may be on their mobile device on public transport and watch it on IGTV. YouTube is, and if you look at the content on YouTube, a network of people who can be amateur who contribute to something like Netflix. So it, I think people who are watching content on YouTube, they're not looking for that content on Instagram. And the reason why I think it is that way is because I tell people on YouTube to go and follow me on Instagram all the time, and they don't. <laughs> so maybe they're not Instagram users. Yeah. Um, or maybe they're people who watch it on their TV and they're not seeking that content on Instagram. So they yeah. are different, but there are a lot of similarities. Different audiences, though. I think so. It has yeah. to be. Because I always say, hey, guys, like, welcome to, don't forget to subscribe and go and follow me on Instagram. I need to build a... Nothing. Doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that works is when I drop content in America. Like, I think my subscribers have gone up 3,000 in a week really? since I've been here. It's That's because they heard you were coming on the Hair Game podcast. That, well, <laughs> it's um, definitely something that uh, I'll um, look at because... Um, I'm watching this, like, maybe I should be doing podcasting as well. Well, you know, it's, that's part of the deal. It's part of your job to yeah. get out there in all different places. But, you know, it's, it's not actually um, funny what you said. What, what you said is real. It is because I've been collaborating with great people like you. I mean, you didn't know me before, yeah. um, you know, this week, and you've invited me to this beautiful salon. And, you know, you're someone I admire, what you've done in America. And Thank you. That's by no, that's like... I, I can't fathom how you can do that. So that's incredible. Maybe we could talk about that. But, and maybe I should listen to your podcast. I'll probably learn about it. But um, people have been in America so great to me. Like I remember yeah. the first time I came here, Ricky messaged me on... Ricky R Zito. Ricky Zito. Yeah. Ricky Zito um, messaged me on um, Instagram. He goes, hey, Bird, you're in... I can't speak like him. Hey, <laughs> I won't do it. Don't <laughs> get upset at me. <laughs> hey, Bud, you're in America. You should drop by my salon and hang out with me. I was like... Check this out, guys. Like, hey, Godzilla wants me to go and hang out. I was like, I won the lottery. Yeah. But that's how America is. Yeah. And look, like, look what it leads to. Yeah. It's and then like, I, I, get on a, I get on a group DM. Yeah. And then I'm like, I check you out. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know, Adam. So yeah. I check you yeah. out, and here you are. Yeah. It's been amazing. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you, everyone in America. You, you guys have been really kind. It's been great. Love it. Okay. So we do this thing at the end of almost every episode called Hair Horror Stories. But mm -hmm. if somebody has a, a horror story that isn't hair related, maybe a YouTube horror story, maybe you like filmed something and lost it before you were able to upload it, or you can do a hair horror story, something horrible happened with a client. Your choice. Um, the, there's so many I could do all of them. <laughs> Let's hear one. Okay, so my horror story, can I do two? Of course. Because I can't decide. Yeah. So the first if one, one sucks, we'll just edit it out. <laughs> so the, yeah. So the first, my, like, so my YouTube horror story, is, it's probably not a surprise. I'm sure every YouTuber's done it. But I, um, I've got to put the memory card in once. And we did eight, eight hours of content. Oh. And um, we had models come in from all around Australia. And we had a professional stylist. <laughs> and... Um, 
Wow, Donovan, by the way, just gave you a look like he's starting to sweat just listening to that. And it's like, people are like, how could you do that? It's like, well, because a Canon 7D will, will start recording. Like, you just press record. Like, yeah, that wasn't good. And that was, that was, um, that was my fault because um, a bit of a control freak. Jimmy was like, I'll do it. I was fine. I was like, no, man, I got it. You're good. Like, you can take today off. And that was bad. So that was really bad because it cost a lot of money. And it was, I guess it was a good learning experience. And, you know, all the great learnings in life come from your losses. But my horror hair story goes back to when I was in technical college. And um, there was this girl. Shoot. Well, I think we should allow her to remain nameless. Okay. <laughs> you never know. It's a small community. Hairdressing, it's vast but close. Sure. So we were doing um, cutthroat razor training. I was watching and I'd finished mine and I, I, I was never really into using cutthroat razors and I'm glad that they're no longer... I don't know if they're... Are they still used in America? I don't know. We use safety blades now in Australia. So they're yeah. essentially just. So, so hold on. When you say cutthroat blade... It's a, it's a naked blade yeah, that of old course. school barbers... Use. Yeah, well, I mean, the traditional barbers do use that. Yeah. Yes, and then you pull it out and you throw it away. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't know if it was a brand or. Not. But you could you could go, like and run that down your hand your... and you'll slice yourself. Yeah. Well, in Australia now, I believe barbers use safety razors, so you can't you can't go horizontally and cut someone. You can only use it vertically, and if you went horizontally, you wouldn't cut anyone. So I was watching her um, do her profile, as you call it, on her model. It's a gentleman. I don't remember his name. And I'm watching and I'm like, this is not going to end well. So she's put the cream on the face, round the profile, and then she's held his skin, cutthroat razor goes down, and it was like when you have a fresh tub of butter and you put a knife and you just roll it <sighs> along. It just curled his skin back perfectly. And I'm just, <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, it's horrible. I felt so bad for it, but I watched and I was like, am I seeing what I'm seeing? <laughs> And he's like, he's sort of flinched a little bit and gone, oh. And then obviously he's put his hand on it. Yeah. And poor guy, like, he could just see it was just like, so she was like, she almost went into shock. Oh, my gosh. I've never seen her again. So she never came back to class. I oh, felt really horrible. Thing. But um, I know that guy because Canberra is Canberra's not a huge city, yeah. but I actually knew him because we're about the same age. He had to have skin grafts. And I've seen him, like, when I walk behind him, he's actually still got, the scar on the back of his neck. It was quite deep. You have to have a skin graft to repair it. So wow. that was probably the worst thing I ever saw in a salon environment other than someone over-processing a perm 15 years ago and they over-process and you rinse it and the rods just fall off someone's head. Like, yeah. I'm sure people have seen that before. Oh, but, my um, God. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Wow. Nothing worse than uh, filming a whole day and that sick feeling in your stomach. Yeah, no kidding. The you know, worst. it kind of reminds me of one of our early Hair Game podcast episodes when we were interviewing Mikey Tees, and it was actually right here at this same station at the Hollywood Salon, and he was telling us about how he he put the shaving cream on, and it wasn't kind of the lotion shaving cream, it was the foam shaving cream, and he was he was trying to get the fade bald and clip this guy's mole right off. <laughs> Oh, blood everywhere. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> it happens. Like, it, I guess we're human, right? We're going to make mistakes. But yeah. They're just the things that, like, I, I actually, I got a little bit of a hot flush just thinking about it. Yeah. Like, it actually, when you say horror, like, it is. It's horrifying. Yeah, like, it is. Yeah. Okay. That's what we do here on the Hair Game Podcast. We horrify <laughs> our listeners. Okay. So, uh, the, the last question that I ask everybody is, do you have any last words for the, for the uh, hairdressing community worldwide? 
Um, I guess the most important thing I could leave with anyone that um, wants to listen to this, for me, we have a very special occupation, job, employment, however you want to describe it. Like being a hairdresser is, is a really special thing. Um, and all over the world at the moment, we're seeing shifts in the way that we work, the way people are employed, um, the way people are trained. You know, we have issues with people um, being employed in unethical environments. And um, if we want to have a sustainable industry, you know, in the US, in Australia especially, where I'm from, this is a problem. Um, we need to provide an environment that's ethical, that we look after people and grow them into professionals so they can have careers, not jobs. Um, because at the moment in Australia, if you're a parent, you ain't going to go and suggest to your child to have a job in a salon because there's just been a 10-year period where it's just not been so great. So I think that you have an obligation as an employer to make sure you provide an environment for people to reach their potential. And then for those people who are working as hairdressers, whether it be whatever, you have an obligation to the hairdresser community to put back. And you can do that via social media. You can do that by helping someone by spending some time with someone um, because I've said it earlier the thing that I've learned about coming to the US and why the hairdresser community is so strong and, uh, and actually Australia can learn a lot from the US in that regards is collaboration people in Australia are very reluctant to collaborate with you um, not all some are like I'm lucky that I have um, colleagues that are hairdressers that I don't work with obviously work with in some way, whether it be shows or a matrix or whatever, that do do collaboration, but people are very reserved in sharing their skills with other and uh, and with others. And I think that if you um, if you love the the industry that you work in, you owe it to the next generation that when you move on, that you leave something behind. Um, and the best thing you can do is to collaborate, and share, and and make sure that you're doing everything you do to set people up for success. And that can be done in many many different ways. Love it, love yep. it. So where can people find you? Instagram um, is... You can find me in Australia if you want to come down and see me. There you um, go. Uh, Instagram, it's all the same. It's um, All my social media profiles are kept the same. So it's Adam Chacha. It's C-I-A-C-C-I-A. And so it's Instagram forward slash Adam Chacha, YouTube forward slash Adam Chacha, Facebook forward slash Adam Chacha, and Love Twitter. That's my Twitter I don't use. Awesome. But yeah, um, if you just Googled my name, Adam Chacha, or Adam Australian Hairstylist, I'm not too hard to find. Thanks for talking to us. Eric, thanks for having me, mate. It's been a pleasure. Hey guys, I'm back. Hope you liked that episode. Next week, we'll be giving you a, a GHD Air Elite blow dryer. It's a really, really sick blow dryer. It's been sitting on my desk for about a week, and I want to give it to somebody who can use it. For a chance to win, write a review on the Apple Podcast app or Stitcher.com if you're a Droid user. You can write a review on both, by the way. The review has to include your exact Instagram handle so we know who you are. Make sure you're following The Hair Game Podcast, Salon Republic, and Love Eric Taylor on Instagram, and then I put your name in my bag. Each week, I pull a name and I announce the winner at the beginning of every episode. You have to be listening to win so you can DM me your mailing address. If you don't win, keep listening because your name stays in my bag in my office and you could win any week on any episode. For complete details, go to salonrepublic.com. Next week's episode will be with Elizabeth Fay. Until then, have a great week. <laughs>